This week on The Vergecast, we go deep on Apple's new operating systems. We talk about macOS Catalina. We talk about iPadOS. We talk a little bit about tvOS and the PS5. Support for today's show comes from Deloitte. What does the future look like? By melting business acumen and innovative technology, Deloitte can help you build the future only you can imagine. They can help engineer solutions for your business reality today and your vision for tomorrow to get you to a world where you don't just dream it, you build it. See how you can engineer advantage with Deloitte at Deloitte.com slash US slash engineering advantage. Support for this show comes from Slack. You're a growing business and you can't afford to slow down. If anything, you could probably use a few more hours in the day. That's why the most successful growing businesses are working together in Slack. Slack is where work happens, with all your people, data, and information in one AI-powered place. Start a call instantly in huddles and ditch cumbersome calendar invites. Or build an automation with Workflow Builder to take routine tasks off your plate. No coding required. Grow your business in Slack. Visit slack.com to get started. Hello and welcome to the Vergecast, the flagship podcast, the ever-growing Vox Media Empire. It's a friendly empire, though. You can say whatever you want in our empire. I'm Neil. <laughs> I'm your friend. Paul Miller's here. Hello. Dieter Bone is here. A photo of me has just uh, been uncovered on Flickr from 2011, and I'm very unhappy. Ooh. Describe the photo. It is me staring into the gaping maw of a Nokia N9 and being amazed at its camera. I like it. We were going to talk about Catalina here in a minute. So Catalina's out, and I ran the system report to find what 32-bit apps I have on my, my laptop. Mm-hmm. And I just I just roll my laptops every year. I don't do clean installs, um, which is which is bad, which is admittedly. But I, so I have a bunch of old software. And so one of the apps that came up was um, the Elgato Turbo 264 app. Oh. Which is like a USB stick that you, Paul. You remember these things? We had them in a gadget. This is like how we ran CS for years. Like, oh yeah, life changing gadget. You would like go out and shoot with your DSLR, and then you had this like huge video file. And like laptops in 2009 were not able to process them in time without destroying their battery. I got most of my videos from a Sanyo Zacti. Yeah. Anyway, so there's this USB stick that like you'd plug in the side of your laptop, and then ran this incredibly insane DRM'd application and it would like do a great job like spitting out 720p video but i fell down a hole Dieter, of like old coverage from back then oh no and i firmly believe in the right to be forgotten is what i'm saying (laughs) (laughs) like i should be able to send google a letter that's like all photos of me before i figured out my hair situation should go away (laughs) i'm with you i understand yeah well let's talk about catalina that's the news it is part of the news well, so there's 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 a lot of I will I'll just I'll say it I'll get out of the way the joke I made at the top about the empire you can say anything there's a lot of news in this world at this moment policy news tech policy news about the Chinese government how various large American corporations are restricting what they say or what their employees can say I think most notably the NBA at the top of the week got into a lot of trouble because the you know, GM of the Rocket said something and then they turn it back and blah blah we're now at the point where Marco Rubio has called for like 
TikTok to be investigated because it's owned by a Chinese company and perhaps mm -hmm. its content moderation policies are unduly influenced by Chinese politics. Um, there's obviously protests in Hong Kong. There are lots and lots of dramatic events unfolding in gaming and esports around the stuff. We're covering it all on the site. Just before we started taping the show today, we were talking about the fact that it hasn't cohered into a narrative yet. Like, there's a lot of stuff happening. And it feels like a moment of reckoning. I suspect that in another few days, that will actually like come to a coherent narrative. But right now, yeah. what's happening is it turns out big companies, uh, in order to not irritate the Chinese government, restrict what they say or do in different ways, um, and that seems bad. Yeah, that that's like where it's at. It seems like th there's a lot of. Um, I think the tweet today was streamlined cowardice. That's what Ben Thompson and I were talking Ooh. about on Twitter. Like, as the yeah. companies get bigger and bigger and bigger, and they're not like Disney owns like forty percent of Hollywood, right? So, yep. and China is a huge market for Disney. Like, is it great that Disney, in order to protect the box office returns of the next MCU movie in China, are telling ESPN anchors to not talk about the politics of the NBA situation? Like, that's a lot of lines being drawn through things. Can I ask you guys a real quick, like, moral question for my own life? That, yeah. that I was thinking about. Okay, so so Blizzard. Blizzard's one of these streamlined, whatever it is. Streamlined cowardice, yeah. <laughs> okay, cowardice, sure. Um, companies, and uh, they they banned a Hearthstone player for like a display he made supporting Hong Kong. Um, took his all his prize winnings. This was completely within their right because they have a crazy <laughs> contract with their players. So I did the feel good thing, uninstalled Battle.net from my computer. You know, I my WoW subscription was over. Like I, I, I just like you know, I'll extract Blizzard from my life and and they can think about what they've done. But then I realized that I'd spend like the the weekend on TikTok, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is way more China, you know, yeah. and is obviously way more sensitive to China speech wise. Like, you know, you know, Blizzard's never stopped me from like support. I don't I have never done this. But if I was supporting Hong Kong in Overwatch chat or in Twitch chat during an Overwatch stream, you know, that kind of thing, that wouldn't be a big deal. But um, I don't know. It was just interesting. Like I was wondering, like what you guys think about that morally. Like, should would stop using TikTok be a good protest, or is it meaningless because it wouldn't? It it doesn't have as much impact as this moment does with Blizzard. That is the question, right? Uh, the the analogy I made earlier today was everybody understands that California has the strongest emission standards in the country. So car yep. makers who want to sell cars in America just like build them to California standards. It's, the, it's just the easiest choice you can make. In a global information economy, China is a huge market with the most stringent speech controls. It is not, to me, surprising that companies are just choosing that set of standards instead of the ones that we would maybe want to have here. I don't know that like a bunch of dudes in their 30s quitting TikTok is going to hurt TikTok. <laughs> like that's that's <laughs> the three of fine. us, right? Like yeah. so I think the real question here is in this moment of reckoning, it this is not a question that I think of individual concerns, of mm -hmm. individual actions. We talk about this all the time. Like you can vote your dollars, vote with your vote. It seems very clear that in this case there is a a policy decision that needs to get made that makes these companies respect the values of this country versus the values of another country. And that is really hard. But I, there's no way that – I don't think you can tell every teenager in America to quit using TikTok because the content moderation policy favors the Chinese mainland government versus the people yeah. in Hong Kong. I, I just I, – I would love that to be the case. Like, that would be great. It just seems unlikely.
but but like I said, I don't want to I don't want to spend too much time on this. Like this story is rapid fire right now. It's like at every minute, like literally before we came on, the, we're taping on Wednesday this week. Right before we came on the air, the Quartz app was banned from the App Store in China because they're covering Hong Kong, presumably. Like yeah. minute by minute. There's nothing we could say that wouldn't be like completely obsolete by the time you're listening to this. Yeah, but like we're pay- we're paying attention. We're just trying to like suss out what to do. We're paying a lot of attention, and I think what I'm looking for, and I'm eager to hear from folks. This is a. It's not just a tech story, right? It's an international relations story. It's a globalized business story. We obviously care about those things. We talk about them all the time, but it's going to cohere into something faster than I think was reasonable for us to speculate on the show, but I wanted to mention at the top, it's definitely happening. It is arguably some of the biggest news of the week and might be huge news just ongoing as, as we, well, for example, uh, Apple. We talk about Apple a lot, I think. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Every okay. now and again, the <laughs> Apple comes up. Uh, Apple has a huge business in China. They make all their stuff there. It's one of their biggest markets. Apple turned over the control of its iCloud servers in China to a company that is, you know, has its set of affiliations with the Chinese government, as all companies in China do. Like, that is a a lot, a lot of exposure to a thing that suddenly our government on both sides of the aisle is saying is a problem. Um, you, you were talking about Blizzard. Both, like both parties have condemned Blizzard for their actions. Both parties have condemned the NBA. Both parties have condemned the NBA. So I, it's going to come for these companies. It is interesting to think that Google, which was under a lot of criticism for building Dragonfly, um, potentially to re-enter the Chinese market. They they don't have any exposure, right? They're like not there. Facebook, very little, yeah. Facebook I, just walked away, couldn't do it. So it's interesting to think the companies that we traditionally associate with being in trouble, Google and Facebook, <laughs> are, are just opted out of this mess. And Apple, which usually you know rides high and on on doing the right thing, is very much enmeshed in it. But it hasn't. I don't think it's developed enough for us to like talk about it for more than the nine minutes we have currently talked about. It. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> All right, let's talk about Catalina. So I, I do want to, but I just wanted to mention it. But I think the the big story in tech, the tech story of the week, to me anyway, is that Apple's big set of software updates continues to roll out. It's it's weird to think that it's not automatically the biggest story in tech, that like one of the world's two major desktop operating systems got updated this week. Uh, everyone got it, and it's pretty buggy, and it seems to have fallen under the radar. But I, this is like an inflection point in like Mac OS history, yep. things are breaking in a, in a big way. Like for example, Adobe is just not ready. It's, by the way, this is all in Adobe. I don't mean to blame Apple for this at all, but, but like what do you do in Adobe? Um, but <laughs> Apple made the call and it's a fair call. Like we're done with 32-bit so, apps. We're 64-bit yeah. only. And like 32-bit apps all over the place are breaking, and a bunch of Photoshop and Lightroom stuff is 32-bit, and it's broken. Yeah. The reason I wrote this article this week that, like, you don't need to update right away, Adobe not being ready and being broken on the new version of the operating system is a tale as old as time. Yeah. Up until about four or five years ago when the Mac was pretty stable and not that much changed, and the iPhone would, like, just get everybody to update, nobody— not a single person with a computer thought that they could upgrade their operating system and just have things be cool. Yeah. It was like you just knew that if you upgraded your OS, something would break and like you would either just accept that or you would go looking around to see if the stuff you care about is broken or not. And we had this beautiful golden age of the the, the teens. The teens were very good to us and we had good <laughs> stable operating system updates. And now we're just reverting to the norm, I think. Or you could be very mad at Apple and they screwed this up and uh, they should do a better job. It's like, I don't know. You should be mad at Apple for the bugs. 
Yeah, so let's break it into into like two pieces. Okay. Specifically with Catalina, because iOS 13 also shipped very buggy, but I think it's gotten better. And we, we'll talk about that later because I want to talk about iPad OS as well. We'll, we'll just okay. do that in the second bit. <laughs> right now, focus on Catalina. Yeah. There are two, I think, bits of Catalina to talk about. We should take them in turn. First, there is the jump to 64 bit. A bunch of stuff broke. A bunch of dependencies aren't there anymore. The there's like a really silly. Uh, I mean, I think it's 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 not fun, but it's like it's hilarious in its way. Just like the cruft of operating systems over time and people's workflows over time is always entertaining to me. So like a bunch of DJs in DJ software yes. relies on iTunes creating an XML file of its library just all the time. So like DJs yep. are they still use iTunes to organize music because it is good at that. And it's available. It's like everywhere. And iTunes in the background just created an XML file, which is something yeah. that software that makes databases does all the time. Right? Like, <laughs> uh, Apple updates to Catalina. They kill iTunes. They roll out music. Music no longer automatically creates the XML file. They upgraded to like SQLite or something or what? They moved to a proprietary format called .itl. I mean, uh, what, are you kidding? Basically, <laughs> used an open format? No, no, no. There's a proprietary format called .itl that they now use. Come on, Apple. So all these like DJ apps no longer can just like read this database of organization. So DJs who are like using iTunes to organize their stuff, and then they could use multiple apps to access that library and that organization, all those apps are broken. Now, depending yeah. on who you ask, you can do your iTunes management and then like hit a button to generate an XML file, but it's a manual process and it might not work. Mm-hmm. So this is just broken. It's just a workflow that's broken. Should all of the DJ apps in the world been ready for Catalina and updated to .itl, which is like what Apple wants you to do, or like whatever proprietary iTunes library API? Maybe. I think more file extensions should be like resonant with meaning. Like .itl clearly stands for it lost, <laughs> right? <laughs> I think yeah. all file extensions should mean something like that. But so that's like, that's one. The, this Photoshop thing is another, like, there's just a bunch of stuff that broke. Right. Well, and, and to Dieter's point, it is, we really... The, our our phones are treating are like training us aggressively. You dude, you have to update all the time. Update means security, bug fixes, yep. and performance improvements. Do it. Go go go. But the classic, especially in the music industry, like the music industry is famous for having probably kept dying alive a lot longer than anybody else for compatibility reasons. And and I think graphics professionals, like Dieter said, this is a tale's old, oldest time with Adobe. So graphics professionals are going to be used to this uh, aspect of don't update your operating system. So it just seems like, but we've been learning with our mobile devices to update. and And we just have to remember that for now, and it's not, Look, doesn't look like it's going to be forever, but for now, a desktop computer is a computer that you manage, mm-hmm. and the operating system provides tools to help you do that. And a mobile operating system is a is is managed by the provider. Yeah. So I think that the 32-bit thing kind of snuck up on everybody. It's the sort of thing where like five years ago, like it's all anybody would talk about is like check all your apps, 32 to 64, the 32 is going away, blah, 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 blah. And they're just... Um, everybody in the industry got so good at just keeping up to date that I think that a bunch of people didn't occur to them that like, oh, wait, some of these frameworks are like a decade old and like might break now. Yeah. So my only stuff, honestly, on my Mac was the Adobe stuff. Um, Everything else, like, meh, it's fine. 
Yeah. Uh, and I've been upgrading this Mac for, you know, I don't know, eight years, something like that. A long time. Um, I have a bunch of ancient Microsoft stuff from, like, an ancient office install. Like, it's stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Microsoft and Adobe are big companies. They're probably going to pull them along. There are some, like, beloved ancient utilities that are going away. Uh, the da- the Not the dashboard. Drag thing. Dra- yeah, drag thing is going away. Oh. No, the dashboard where I have all the widgets. I still use widgets. That's just you, man. <laughs> Although I use them on the Today screen, on the Today view, so. But it's gone, right? Like, there's just a bunch of stuff. And I, what I'm saying is this is a, it's a, it's a lot of change at once, and I don't think Apple, anyone, us, the Mac ecosystem, was, like, really prepared to communicate the scale of change. Mm. Yeah. Like, you go from Sierra to High Sierra or El Cap to, to Mojave, like everything is, like, basically the same, right? Mm-hmm. And, to Paul, to your point, you update your your phone, well, the, the app store is in the background just, like, quietly bringing everything along, mm. right? Instagram is a couple couple weeks late with dark mode for iOS 13, but eventually it's going to be there. And they announce it, it just, like, shows up in everybody's phone, and you've never thought about it because everything's auto-updated in the background. The Mac App Store is not, I would say, a success story <laughs> on par with the <laughs> iOS App Store. And so, like, it's just, like, not happening for people, so stuff is just broken, and there's no, like inherent built-in sense that it will get fixed over time. Mm-hmm. So that to me is like a that's a big change. That's a very interesting thing. Like the Mac App Store could be something more like how software is distributed on, you know, on Linux uh, where uh it's sort of this repository of up-to-date software, <laughs> you know, instead of like Apple's wedge to control and profit more off of app development you know if the mac app store was a little kinder to developers and a little looser in rules it could be much more popular and it could therefore help an update like this go a lot smoother and and yet it is not and like we've been talking like i don't know what to tell you. Like, we've been talking about this for a long time in fact it seems like they're going the other way right like now they're acquiring uh, code to be notarized mm-hmm. on Catalina. That's not a Mac App Store thing. That's just a, that's a full-on Catalina thing. It will explain it. So you, your app needs to be notarized, which is you need to sign up for a developer account, and then Apple needs to be like, yep, you exist as a human. We gave you, you, you are like a real thing, not scammy. Therefore, your app can run. Um, the hope and the assumption and the way it seems to be going, I haven't heard a whole lot of complaining about this since it, the news first like became popularized a few months ago, is, yeah, if you have a developer account and your app gets notarized, it's fine. Like The only people that should really be hurt by that are people that are legit making malware that Apple – like Apple wants to be able to have this notarization thing to like deny bad actors, not like pick and choose and curate is the hope and the assumption. Um, nevertheless, short of like going through and turning off a bunch of stuff and – hitting a bunch of security flags and blah, 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 blah. Apple now is like anointing every single app that appears on your phone. It's, uh, you know, it's a, laptop. Their, their laptop. Excuse me. <laughs> the big one. They're already anointing the stuff on your phone. <laughs> um, they're like, it's like, it's like a notary non-public. Right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so I've seen some developers already say like, you know, I've it's too much work to support Mac users. Like, yeah, we're done. We're out. And that, that sounds like really lazy, but like, if you think like, a lot of software these days is is built with maybe you've heard of CI CD continuous integration continuous delivery. So every time you update the software, all the tests are run, 
And if all the tests pass, that means the software is good. And then they they ship a binary right then. And they just update the, the official binary of the software right then. <laughs> and uh, there aren't any <laughs> there aren't any Mac servers to run the notarization <laughs> unless you're crazy. You know, I don't know. Just typical Apple things. Yeah. But it's, it's a huge inflection point in Mac OS. And it, it was not billed as such. Dieter, your review gets at it. Your review begins and ends with weight. Right. Yeah. But only until reviewers got it was the scale of the inflection point, I think, clear. Right. Well, and it actually, I didn't do a good enough job. Like I said, wait at the beginning and the end, but I feel like I wasn't clear enough about it. <laughs> um, like because I didn't upgrade my Mac, I like took a review unit and it was like a relatively clean install. Um, and, you know, I didn't install literally everything that I use. I knew it was a problem, but I didn't realize the scope of the problem of all of the like security access dialogues that now pop up because like, Apple wants to make sure apps have permission to get into, like, say, your documents folder. Uh, you know, the, they want to move the Mac to a place where um, not every single app can have access to your whole damn hard drive, right? It seems like a reasonable thing for them to want to do. In order to make that happen, they need to, like, lock it down, and then the apps need to ask permission, and then you need to grant them permission. It's all like there's nothing irrational about that chain of desires and events. Um, until you get to the end of that chain, which is when you update your Mac and then all of a sudden your entire screen is filled with permission prompts that you need to accept. <laughs> it is very Vista. Yeah. It's a real throwback. Apple actually made a, a I'm a Mac commercial with Justin Long and John Hodgman and some other famous actor who was the security guard standing behind John Hodgman. And every time John Hodgman talked, he said, confer, like, accept or deny. But, like yeah. Apple used to like make fun of Microsoft for this thing that is happening on Catalina. But like I get like times have changed. Like there are more bad actors and the Mac is like Apple is a more popular company and there's more targeting of their platforms. Like, yep, you gotta this is what I mean by inflection point. Yeah. I don't think this will be the permanent state of Catalina, but it is absolutely the state of Catalina now. And yeah. my instinct, I've done this. I skipped Sierra. I basically skipped LCAP. Like it's sort of like accidentally updated one day. Like I hit the wrong button. I was like, oh <laughs> shit. Um, <laughs> Uh, I think I skipped Leopard back. Like, you can just skip Mac OS versions. Like, your your world won't end the way that, like, if you skip an iOS version, like, all of a sudden things just stop, like, working along the way. Yeah. You just skip a Mac OS version. And I, like, I think maybe you should skip Catalina. Like, I, it doesn't, there's nothing here that's compelling. I don't even have a laptop that can run Sidecar because you need <laughs> yeah. a, a butterfly keyboard laptop, uh. which is the worst trade in history. Like, you can have a broken <laughs> keyboard, but a cool second iPad display. No, the, your Mac OS upgrade strategy is going to be the Samsung model where you're just going to get it when you have to buy a new computer. Mm. Yeah, that's right. I feel great about that. <laughs> I, uh, I, mean, I will say, all of this complaining aside, I'm really liking Catalina. I've been using it in like the developer preview for ages, and once I clicked yes on enough prompts, now I only get a new <laughs> I only get a new prompt like every other day. And I'm yeah. Always, let me tell you, I am always grateful for that prompt because a lot of times it's like new information. It's like, oh, I didn't, I didn't. Do know you say you. no a lot? I say on the, on my phone, I'm saying no left and right. Oh, dude, dude, yeah. I got Mario Kart on my Android phone and it pops open. You must have Google Play to play this, and then you say no thanks, and you play it anyways. It's uh, they're lying. <laughs> you don't must. 
<laughs> no, but I, 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 I say no a couple things on the Mac, but mostly it, it, it's, a, it's knowledge of what your software is doing because your software does a lot of invisible things and hard, hard drive access is, is an interesting one that's good to have insight into. I would hope eventually that we could find a low noise way to do this with network access so that the, the sort of situation with Zoom where Zoom just mm-hmm. installed a random application that was, you know, spying i don't know what it was doing but it was being a bad person <laughs> i was like i remember this story it was bad right <laughs> it, 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 yes, it, it was bad it could definitely it could phone home and it was running perpetually on your on your computer and and it, it most importantly it was a web server holding a port open on your computer which is is in, in a sense a a access point for messages from the outside which is what you don't want Sometimes, so be, knowing that having better insight to that would be nice in, in in the future. I don't know if they'll ever get there. Yeah, look, I, like I said, inflection point. I don't think it's bad. I, I like in the brief moments I've gotten to use Catalina, it seems fine. I, and features like Sidecar seem cool, and like seems right that they broke up iTunes into forty five separate apps in the <laughs> Finder sidebar, or whatever they did. Like it, there's nothing about it that's bad. I just think that there's no reason to experience the transition. Hmm. And this is a transition point. If you have a Mac that's working, yeah. like uh, in the Dami who wrote the wait for Photoshop users post yesterday, we were like listing the things that are broken. I have no idea what the Photoshop Extend Script Toolkit is. I don't. There's like a print shop in Kansas City that like the, the entire business runs on the Photoshop Extend Script Toolkit. Like they should definitely wait. <laughs> like there's no reason for them to risk their business. I beseech you, mm-hmm. printers of Kansas City, mm-hmm. wait. Yeah. Um, and so it's just that there's no reason to experience the transition. I think you can wait a year. And I think the better reason, this is the other thing, the better reason to wait a year is because the real promise of Catalina is Catalyst apps, is getting all the iPad apps, and that appears to be a garbage fire. I have every single feeling in the world about this. I know. That's why here Dieter God will be talking for the next 10 minutes. I'm going to go get some coffee. <laughs> I begged Apple to make its own good Catalyst apps ahead of WWDC. I said, Apple, do this right. Show everybody the way to make these apps good. At the time, they were not called Catalyst apps. They were called whatever they were called. Marzipan? Marzipan apps. WWC arrived, and Apple did not do that. They did. In fact, they they left their own uh, Catalyst apps as the same hot garbage that they were uh, in Mojave. So that was bad. Uh, And then it turned out uh, that alongside Catalyst, they also announced this thing called Swift UI, which uh, is apparently an incredibly elegant way to build a UI for, you know, for Mac developers that are already using Swift. And um, to some people, especially like Mac partisans, it looked like uh, Swift UI is the future and Catalyst is just this weird placeholder and you should ignore Catalyst, especially because they're bad. And then in the months since WWDC, we have learned that like making a good Catalyst app, making a good Mac style app, but using the iPad st- style code uh, is very difficult and uh, it's not well documented and everything you want there to do on it isn't actually there or easy to do. And so the result is we have a bunch of pretty um, fine Catalyst apps. There's like, you know, I don't know, 20 or 30. And some of them are cool. Like Carrot looks dope. Planny seems cool. Like 9to5Mac has a, has a list of like all the ones that are out there. But like Twitter hasn't arrived. That was on stage. Uh, Asphalt 9 hasn't arrived. That was on stage. Netflix just quit. 
They were like, no, nope, Netflix, not doing yep, this, not doing it. So, but those are the ones you want. Like on Tuesday, uh, the interview episode this coming Tuesday is Kayvon Bakepour, the head of product on mm. Twitter. Casey and I talked to him, uh, and I asked him like, "How's your Catalyst app?" And he was like, "It's great because we don't have to like work very hard, and it's just like not there." Yeah, because I think they actually have to like work fairly hard to get it right. But the yeah. promise is that all these like great iPad apps will just like show up on your Mac and. The developers won't have to work very hard, but then everyone gets the benefit. This is always the dream, mm -hmm. right, of, like, multi-operating system support or multi-platform support. It seems like that dream has crashed directly into reality. Yeah. Mark Gurman at Bloomberg had a really good story where he talked about, like, some of the developer worries and complaints about Catalyst. And uh, there's, like, two big ones, and they both relate to the, the difference between user expectation and, like, developer reality. Um, so one is uh, users expect to not have to pay for the same damn app again, right? They bought it once on the iPad, and then it shows up on their iPhone. Why isn't it also showing up on the Mac? It seems a reasonable thing to expect. Developers, on the other hand, are like, yeah, actually, no, it takes a lot of work to make that Mac app work, so I should get paid for that. Um, and similarly with, um, you know, people that are only paying a little bit of attention. And if you are a regular human being, you should only be paying a little bit of attention. <laughs> um, the message, their takeaway is, oh, developers can like check a box and like fix two things and then it, uh, an iPad app turns into a Mac app. Mm -hmm. And it's not like that at all. It's If you do that, it's going to be terrible. Uh, and so like people could potentially be mad at iPad developers who are promising a Catalyst app because they're taking too long. And it's because they think it's easier than it actually is. Okay, here's my conspiracy theory. Okay. I, I think I've put this together. Yeah. That's why Apple's apps are bad. It's to set the expectation that these apps will be bad. Oh, <laughs> oh my God. So that you, you use this like Catalyst app and you're like, huh, some apps on my Mac, me, person who's only paying the appropriate amount of attention to the Mac developer ecosystem in this 2019, some Mac apps are bad iPad apps. And this is something I, ex I expect and uh, honestly enjoy because I enjoy being jolted into a different pa interface paradigm that requires a touchscreen <laughs> on this computer that doesn't have a touchscreen. But it keeps me alive. You know, there's like a little a jolt of excitement every now and again. Uh, and so I expect some apps to be bad. My version of... <laughs> Dieter's face right now. <laughs> no, my face right now is because at WWDC, a bunch of people in podcasts and whatever asked Craig Federighi, why is the home app still look like this? And his answer was, oh, that's a design decision. It's not a limitation of the, of the Catalyst platform. We just want it that way. And, and it's like... Why? And the Why? subtext of and that is we want it you, to be bad. Yes, you solved it for me. Thank you. Yeah, we're just we're just lowering because when you think of Apple, you think of lower expectations of the user experience. My, my, my thinking is that what is flooding our computers right now are Electron apps, which are you know fancified, glorified web browsers. Love them. And uh, you know, performance uh, aside, the UI ends up often being a little webby and weird. So we're already sort of learning that, that well, it's not everything's going to look like a Mac application. So in some sense, like the, the, the bar is lower for a Catalyst app because it just has to be better than an Electron app. Right. But, but an Electron app with a, a webby UI, generally built for a, a mouse mm. and a keyboard. Mm. An iPad app... <laughs> 
<laughs> generally built for you to interact through touch. Yeah. And like this is the problem. Mm-hmm. Like I if anything gets Apple to put a touch screen on a Mac, it's the success of Catalyst. Right? Because Catalyst mm-hmm. apps can't like there isn't I think Gruber was pointing this out, like the PCALC, which is a very famous app, the developer wrote a whole long blog post, and there's no like menu selection interface built into it. Like if you just want to like, select an item out of a list, there's no native control for that in Catalyst. You you just get the iOS spinny wheel, which makes no yeah. sense with a mouse. Mm. Like that is Gruber's like that's ridiculous. This is the first GUI framework for this kind of computer in history that does not just have that as a primitive. That's Apple's like either they solve that problem, they put the work into Catalyst, or hear me out, you just put a touch screen on the Mac. And you're like, just touch the wheel. Like, just do the thing, and it's going to yep. work fine. And now yep. you actually do have iPad apps in your Mac. Yep. I would be totally into that. This would break all of their religion. They could release an ARM Mac, put a touch screen on it, and say, hey, iPad apps, go to town. No problem. Apple, if you're listening to this, this is not a get-out-of-jail-free card. No, you can't do that. <laughs> go ahead. You can put a touch screen. I don't care. But you also need to solve problems. How damning is it that I, I'm just I'm coming back to this Netflix thing. How damning is it that Netflix won't do this? Like them taking their iPad app, they've done all this work, does like offline, your queue is there, you're always logged in, you don't have to worry about re-logging in, you don't have to deal with, you know, is my web browser good enough or fast enough? It's like it's a, just a native app. They're them refusing to take that and put it on the Mac are like, no, our website's good enough. Woof. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Like as with all things with these big companies now, is like, is this a, a sincere technical limitation that they didn't want to overcome because the market's yep. not big enough? Or is this just politics because, I don't know, they want some additional API hook and Apple's like, we'll give that to you if you put Netflix in the TV app on yeah. Apple TV Plus and like yeah. do a sign up thing where we take 30% of your money and Netflix like, no, <laughs> in response, we withhold our Catalyst app. <laughs> like, like all all of those things are possible, and I, maybe we'll never know. But this is supposed to make it easy, and I think what we've learned just in the week or so that we've had Catalina is it is actually hard, and that it it is an open question whether Catalyst is meant to be a real project, meant to be a real thing, a real avenue for developers, or it's just sort of the thing that allows Apple to stem the tide of Electron while they move everybody to SwiftUI. I don't know. Does it work on sidecar? So I don't have a computer that can use sidecar. Oh. Does it work with this catalyst? You you can't? No, you can't touch. Just because you put an app on there, you can't touch the screen. (laughs) Like, (laughs) come on. Come on now. (laughs) You can use a pencil on on stuff, but. (laughs) (sighs) Can you use a pencil on the interface elements? That would be amazing. I have to check. I I, I mostly drew with it. Uh, Photoshop, by the way, uh, not yet supported for sidecar. So, like, if you turn on pressure sensitivity in Photoshop. Like, the brush is, like, way slow. (laughs) Um, I mean, it's just that. It's just, like, some combination of Apple pushes forward with no regard for the past, which is Apple's way. That's fine. Mm -hmm. The developers are in a state of consternation. They haven't caught up to where Apple wants to be. I think that with Catalina in particular, enormous set of open questions about whether developers want to catch up to where Apple wants to be. Paul, I know, what do you like about Catalina besides the... The asking of permission. Well, I just like I feel like it's a cleaning up. I mean, it, you know, as as hard as it 
is to have the deprecation of 32-bit. That represents to me a slimming and a trimming down of the operating system. And to me, it just feel. And they also like they cleaned out the root folder. And, and I like these permissions things. Like I feel like there's a lot. The the operating system to me, and it's just a subjective feeling, but it feels slimmer more streamlined and a little more polished in in that sense. Less polished in uh, the apps that replaced iTunes, in my opinion. I think they're very good. They're better than iTunes, but that's a (laughs) low-ass bar. (laughs) Right? Like, they're they're 1.0 products for sure. Uh, The TV apps, uh, a complete lack of awareness of other television ecosystems and television mm -hmm. apps is wild because the TV app on the iPad and on Apple TV, like I'm used to like, there's a show and it shows me and I click in it and then like here are all the services I can, I can watch it on. Um, and it doesn't do that on the Mac. Um, you know, and Apple music is similarly got like, like the history is like weirdly slow to update. There's just like some 1.0 kind of stuff in all of these apps. Well, Apple music, uh, you, you know, they're using the, um, <clears throat> dynamic new ITL file <laughs> format. Yeah, <laughs> I I will be you know for people who are taking this as as me somehow recommending this operating system, I do not use mm-hmm. any of these apps that you're talking about. I don't use Home <laughs> Home Centerland, and I don't use Apple TV, and I don't you know I use I use VS Code, I use the Brave browser, and I use like a yeah. weird text editor that's not even a real app. Yeah, look, here's a, a final word on Catalina. I'm gonna try to sum it up. If you have never used a computer before and you buy a Mac, you're going to love Catalina. <laughs> you're going to love it. It's going to be the best thing that ever happened to you. It's clean. It's simple. It communicates well. If you have never had sugar before and someone hands you a can of Coke, you're gonna love you are it. in for the ride of your life. It's going to be the best. You're like, the future of computing unfolds in so many directions. How will apps work in the future? It's got a new shell. Yeah. If you uh, have ever used a Macintosh before uh, and you're upgrading, uh, it's not going to be quite as fun. It's uh, it's going to be, yeah, it's going to be a little rocky. And I, I just, I, my recommendation is you can just wait. You just wait a month. You can wait a year. You can skip the whole thing. Yeah. I'm going to see. I'm going to see if anything, I'll let you know if anything compels you to upgrade. Right now, I have felt no, no such pull, except that I like always having the latest thing. But that's just, that's just me. That's like I buy phones on the podcast every year. So like, what am I doing? All right, we're taking a break. We'll come back. We got to talk about iPadOS and tvOS. WatchOS? Well, there's a lot of OSs. We'll be right back. Support for the Vergecast comes from Shopify. Whether you're a huge company or a small crafter trying to make a buck off your hobby, selling online is one of the best ways to grow. Shopify is one of the top e-commerce platforms that you can use to get started. But it's not just online. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. And you can sell wherever, online or with their in-person point of sale system. You can also sell more with less effort with their AI-powered tool, Shopify Magic. Shopify powers 10% of all e-commerce in the U.S. You might recognize more brands who already use Shopify, like Rothy's, Brooklinen, Allbirds, and more. Millions of entrepreneurs of every size across 175 countries rely on Shopify for their e-commerce needs. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash vergecast. That's all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash vergecast now to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash vergecast. Support for this podcast comes from Constant Contact. 
If you're a business owner, you already know that it's really, really hard to cut through the noise of everyday life. If you want to connect with your customers, you need to break through the noise. You need Constant Contact. Constant Contact is a marketing platform that makes it easy to reach new audiences, grow your customer list, and connect over email, text, social media, and more. Whether you're a marketing guru or just learning the ropes, Constant Contact offers writing assistance tools and automation features that make it simple to say the right thing at the right time. So get going and start growing your business today with a free trial at ConstantContact.com. Just go to ConstantContact.com right now. Constant Contact, helping the small stand tall. ConstantContact.com. All right. So speaking of Adobe. Yeah. Where's this transition going? I'm going to (laughs) tell. That was like, it was supposed to be a pregnant pause. What's going to happen next? Walls exist and they're sometimes made out of. (laughs) Every now and again, Adobe (laughs) updates its software. When that happens. When you subscribe to software, you don't own the software. (laughs) Yeah. Every now and again, Adobe updates a software you've been renting from them. The feature that I was most excited about with iPad OS. Yeah. They showed it on stage. I swear yep. to God, Cred Federici looked in my eyes <laughs> when he announced it. Was you're going to import photos directly into Lightroom? Uh-huh. It's not there yet. Whoa. No, it's not. <laughs> Absolutely isn't there yet. There's nope. an amazing workaround that people on like forums and Reddit have found, which is you can import 10 photos at a time in the Files app and then share them using the Lightroom share button, which uh. is still an incredible hack. But at least you've gotten to I can see an SD card. Yeah, Adobe. That's just a yeah. real under hmm. undercurrent of the update story. But iPad OS is here. Yep. Dieter, you reviewed it. What do you What do you think? I think that there are bugs. Uh, <laughs> the, the, I mean, the sorry. iOS thirteen story continues. Yeah. Uh, the my floating keyboard. I love the floating keyboard. Uh, I will defend it to my dying breath. I think it's the best. It just goes where it wants. <laughs> Just all the time. It's like, nope, I think I should be over on this side of the screen now. <laughs> uh, no, you know, you, it's like a game. It's like, where's Waldo? I think that the Safari browser uh, is actually pretty good. Uh, I definitely like, I'm the kind of person that will push a browser to the edge of what it's capable of and then find where it breaks and then complain about that that spot. But overall, I think that you are going to have a better time on the web with the new Safari than you did on the old Safari. And I think that uh, the multitasking model is super complicated. We can get into that if you want, although we, we talked about it a bunch the uh, last couple of weeks. And I think that the model for manipulating text is a um, dumpster fire. I think the line I used was Apple Apple tried to like move on from the loop and like do something really great and intuitive. So like they aim for the stars and they hit the ditch. Yeah. It's real bad. We'll explain what it is. I'm thinking about how to explain it, and I don't know how, but I'm very curious to see if you can. Uh, the very short version is uh, they want you to not have to think about it. And so they let you just, you know, drag and touch and, like, the cursor will figure out what you're trying to pull off. Are you trying to select a word? Are you trying to highlight a thing? Are you just trying to move the cursor? Uh, you know, they'll just – you'll figure it out. And if, like, you're annoyed because you can't see what's going on with the cursor, if you move your finger real fast, the cursor gets a little bit bigger so you can, like, see where it goes. Um, they didn't think through that, like, fingers are still big and um, – 
what's the word, opaque. You can't see through them. (laughs) So it makes it real hard to place. That's the problem the loop was designed to fix. And then on top of all of that, I think that they they just, they whiffed on the cursor stuff. Um, On top of all of that, they completely whiffed on these three-finger gestures. I just, they're terrible. Um, The three-finger tap is great. So like learn the three-finger tap. That's how you can bring up your undo, redo menu, your all that stuff, your cut, copy, paste. Uh, but if you think that you can like do the lift up thing and like do the the plop down thing with regular consistency at the at the speed uh, that you normally would when you're working with text on uh, any other computer that has a mousing system, you are sadly mistaken. Yeah. So it just it just it's just it all works, but it just it definitely slows you down if you're working specifically with text. So let me ask you this, philosophical. I want to talk about iPadOS in as an OS, but philosophically, uh-huh. Apple is closest to a gesture-powered navigation system for general computing mm-hmm. with the iPad and iPad OS than anybody else. That's right. That is completely true. Is that a good idea? Sure. Why not? Well, because they're really close. They're farther along than anybody, and it seems like a bad idea. <laughs> like, should they <laughs> keep mean- going? Or is asking people to remember, like, how many fingers do a thing just like a fundamentally broken idea? Well, I mean, I've been getting into this for a long time. I don't think it's fundamentally a broken idea. I think that we give ourselves uh, not enough credit for how how we learn desktop operating systems. And I think that people will pick up this stuff. Um, I think that it's not as discoverable and, you know— intuitive in, in the sense of like riding a bike is intuitive uh, as it could be or should be. Uh, but that doesn't mean that they shouldn't keep going. Um, the like one of the things I talk about a lot in this review is like I'd never know where, what's going to happen when I tap on an icon. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which seems real bad, right? Will the window be in a sidebar? Will it be in a split screen? Are there multiple screens? Which window is it going to open? I don't know. Um, that all seems terrible. Uh, but the truth is that I, it's not – I don't know because I don't know what the operating system is doing. It's not I don't know because the operating system is screwed up. Like the the OS has an internal logic to what happens with its windows. It's just too complicated to understand unless you like <laughs> are like in seeing the matrix, right? Yeah. Um, and so don't try and see the matrix and you'll be like – you'll like eventually just come to terms with like, oh, yeah, it's a little bit wacky. It's fine. And like maybe in like – four years, I will have this like inherent intuitive sense of how the thing works and I'll see the matrix uh, without having to think about it. It'll be like, I don't know, dribbling a basketball. First time you dribble a basketball, you just blah, and then over time you get better at it. I mean, I'm still blah, but you know what I mean, right? Like maybe it'll get there. Some people have learned to dribble a basketball is what I think you're getting at. But there's always going to be stuff at the edges of a, a UI that are hard to get right the first time. And I think that text is like specifically a thing that is difficult uh, when your primary input mechanism is a finger. It's just like because unless you want your text to be – each character to be bigger than the tip of a finger, like something has to be new or something has to give. You have to figure out a solution for that problem. Um, And Apple's tried a couple different solutions and I think in this one in particular, they were too ambitious or they just they didn't reach the level of their ambition. We're 11 years into touchscreen primary devices like this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you wouldn't think we'd be still be bad at this. Did, did they give themselves permission to use more fingers? Is that the problem here? And they just did a bad job there? Or Because like, you would think that if you were just trying to improve what we already know from phone screens and just make it a little more iPad-y, whatever that would mean, 
that you could make a, a improvement, not that not that you would go this far in the wrong direction. No, I think that the, that's exactly what they're trying to do. I'm just saying like they whiffed it. Like the there's a difference between is this a good idea or a bad idea and did you execute your idea mm-hmm. well? I just think they didn't like execute the idea. So well. so so theoretically, if it was just intuitive and when you swipe something, it's selected, but sometimes the swipe was actually. A moved cursor because what you meant to do was move the cursor. If somehow it could read your intent well enough, it would be a good way to interact. Yeah. And that, by the way, that is not completely out of the realm of possibility. It just isn't. There's a there's a rumor or a story right now that uh, Google Stadia is going to uh, is aiming for negative latency because they're going to predict what you're going to what you're going to do on your controller before you do it, and therefore you'll you'll not have any feeling of latency, and that isn't a crazy idea either. It's hard for buttons, but on an analog joystick, there's only so many directions that your finger can possibly go, and after that, it's just a probability problem and a confidence problem. How confident are they that the next thing you do is going to be this, given the physical capabilities of the thing you're you're, you're using? And, like, if Apple is good enough at machine learning and AI, they could theoretically make this cursor accurate and do what you expect it to do 95% of the time. And, like, if they can get that percent that they get it wrong small enough, it will feel like magic and only occasionally annoying. Right now, I think their hit rate is closer to, like, 50%. That Stadia thing is terrifying. Like, that's just, like, a guarantee that I will be even worse at video games. <laughs> like, it will confidently predict that I will yeah. press the wrong button and just push it for me. Yes. What if normally I do miss all my headshots, but this was going to be the one time? <laughs> yeah. Well, so I guess let me zoom out of that a little bit again. Okay. With desktop computers, mm-hmm. it's, I mean, this is a, now a 30-year metaphor that has just been refined and refined and refined. It also had the ability of existing somewhat in a vacuum for most of its existence, the, like, the, the Windows mouse metaphor, right? Like mm-hmm. that was the thing. It was the only thing. So it existed mostly in a vacuum. So every time like more capabilities were layered onto it, they were wholly new. There was, not, there was no other better thing or other more effective thing that was constantly being compared to. Right. And it got to develop in parallel with sort of astonishing leaps in overall computing power. Right. Like, do you remember, like, when the, like, early 2000s Macs, there would be, like, slash dot flame wars about how many processor cycles Apple was wasting on, like, visual effects? Yeah, like, yeah I'm yeah, fairly yeah. sure those conversations have gone away, right? Like, but Apple did use those processor cycles to, like, make the UI more predictable. Mm-hmm. It would show you where Windows are going. There's all these animations. Like, it taught users what to expect, and then over time it, it wound some of those animations back. The iPad, and particularly iPad OS and all this new stuff, has none of those benefits, right? It's wholly new. It has not been refined over time. They actually keep rebooting it in different ways. It does sit next to a very powerful, very flexible, very well understood uh, mouse windows metaphor. And like the thing is already so powerful that the main complaint is it doesn't let you do all the things that you think it should do. Right. And so like I think Apple's actually just like they're in a very difficult position, they're not actually iterating. It just seems like they keep rebooting to see if they get it right instead of being able to commit to one thing and refining it. But do you think now is like this is the foundation they're going to refine? I think that's not totally fair. I think the the slide over thing is a clear iteration. They had a good idea of like there should be an app and it should like invisibly theoretically live on the right side of your screen and you could swipe it in and swipe it away. And that's good for like certain things. And turning that into a stack is like really smart. Like, that's great. So, like, their, their core foundation of iPadOS is one big screen, 
split screen, and slide over. Like those are like the three modalities, basically. Instead of like Windows, you can put it anywhere you want in space. And they seem pretty committed to that. And I'm actually like, I'm okay with that. You like those three elements, and then every now and then, if you really want to, you can like have a picture-in-picture uh, -picture thing, or you can like expand a notification to do something, right? Like that's like a extra modal space that like can sometimes exist. That is a foundation. I think it's pretty smart. You know, if you're committed to like not letting people just have Windows, how do you play around with the different ways that things work inside that basic framework, where like they're going to try some stuff and it's going to fail? And they're going to have to, like, start over and try something else. And I guess the reason that I'm, like, pretty chill about this, like, you know, I, in the video and in the piece, I make this joke about, like, everything is temporary, nothing matters, just be a Buddhist, <laughs> you know, go away, is because I have watched Android do this for a decade. Every single version of Android, they're like, well, that idea sucked. Let's try it again. And that, like, iterations, a cycle of iteration and rebooting is why Android notifications are so good now. They like they just they were willing to keep poking at it every single time and trust users to like figure out what they were doing in a way that Apple just refused to with notifications. And the reason I'm so excited about iPad OS being a little bit complicated, which seems super counterintuitive, is because I see Apple realizing and having a willingness to like try some stuff, have it fail, and then change it the next time. That's, yeah. that's not that's not the way Apple usually does this kind of thing. And that's like so that's fun. So I think the question is, like, are they going to commit to iPadOS diverging from iOS? Which, WWC, they seemed—basically, uh, there's two answers to this. Like, there is the public answer, which is, it's iPadOS now. It's its own thing. And then to us, they're like, yeah, it's still iOS. Like, it's all one operating system. And yeah. it, I think a big question is, will it diverge? Will it actually become its own thing in a different direction? I mean, that depends on whether or not developers make, uh, you know, feel like they can make money selling, like, prosumer apps— um, you know, a great way to convince developers that they can make money selling prosumer apps is to support the creation of the, those apps so they could work both on the iPad and the Mac. <laughs> um, that seems like a really good way to ensure the, the future success of the, the iPad as a computer. Um, Apple should really think about that. You say that, Dieter, and I believe you, but also, like, two weeks ago, I spent, like, $80 on um, audio apps for my iPad <laughs> because it's the, the iPad, if people aren't aware of the audio ecosystem there's these things called AUV3 audio units V3 the the fancy new audio unit and so you can have an app that hosts other these like mini portable apps that are the audio units and the audio units can accept sound in send sound out accept midi in and send midi out so you can have an app that is it is like built to combine all these different apps and that's like your effects chain or that's your that's your music it's so cool it's like a it's a whole different way to use computers in, in, in my feeling um, and it's awesome and it's a great way to spend so much money so quickly <laughs> oh well I mean it's only ten dollars and it will generate really great MIDI sequences and I need it and so you just buy it how many apps did you buy probably like five all right I want to hear some tunes man where's that SoundCloud link all right, well, I'll work on it. <laughs> I've got to buy some more audio units real quick, though. Ah, yes. The classic music production conundrum. i got to find that sound. Uh, Dieter, you also reviewed the iPad, which I think it's is an just, iPad. just an iPad. Hmm. It's an iPad. Heard that one. Uh, I thought your your conclusion was this is more confusing than ever. Uh, was seems spot on. Like, why would you buy this one instead of an Air, instead of a 
used pro, but like I actually I I don't get it. Where did you land? Man, I am actually also confused. A uh, uh, an Air seems like a better deal because you get a newer processor and like the new the screen is noticeably better, at least to me. But you know, it's like that's 170 bucks, and like so, why maybe it's safe to like get the 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 main thing with this iPad that bothers me that troubles me is the processor is pretty old. It's the A10, and you know, like Apple will support it for as long as they can, but I think that it's going to have a slightly shorter shelf life than uh, than iPad Air would. That's interesting. I mean, Apple's usually not too aggressive in dropping support for these older. Older iOS devices in particular. Yeah, I don't think that it's like a uh, a short shelf life. I think it's like instead of like seven years, it's five, or instead of like ten years, it's seven. Like that. That's the range we're talking. We're not in Android land where the thing (laughs) is completely useless after a year and a half. Right. To be clear, but it is completely baffling why uh, this device, which is like designed for. Uh, education designed for people that don't you know don't want to spend a lot of money. They might want to give it to their kid. Um, one, why the keyboard is still so expensive? It's more than half the cost of the iPad itself. Um, uh, you did the interview with the CEO Logitech. Thank you for asking about the the Logi brand name. They did that for you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, he spoke right into my ear holes. It was great. <laughs> but like they're they're not making keyboards that are like that much cheaper, and they're just using Bluetooth, whatever. And then two, the lack of multi user support in iPad OS has gone from like ridiculous to um, like I don't even know the word like punitive like. Apple should literally be indicted. <laughs> like they, it, <laughs> oh is, it is terrible that they do not offer this feature to everybody. Uh, it's available in the education market, but not for anybody else. If you want to give your iPad to a kid, to your child, and you don't want that child to, you know, open up your work email and send your boss an email, you, uh, you eventually land on, well, I'm going to have to buy him an iPad. Like, that's, that's the end of that story every time. And tvOS, which we haven't talked about much here, uh, supports multi-user. Yeah. It's, like, right there. <laughs> it's actually, like, really good, too. It's yeah. bizarre. Like, they just, like, figured it right out. They're like, some people want to watch different TV shows than you. Here is an entire robust multi-user stack. And it's like, you don't think people on iPads want to do different things? Here's an idea. A 15-finger gesture. <laughs> it's a handover. It requires two people <laughs> to, to make the swipe. That's pretty good. Here's my big question about this iPad. And I asked you about it when I did the interview with Brack and Daryl, the CEO of Logitech. The smart connector is now on all the iPads except for the mini, right? Yep, that's right. It's a different smart connector on the new iPad Pros. It's on the back, whereas the, all the old iPad Pros and the iPad Air and this thing have it the little on the bottom. Sure. Right. But it's still like three dots on the back of the... It's the same. I think it's the same configuration of pogo pins or whatever, right? This is purportedly an open connector. Why isn't there even just a dongle that lets you plug in a USB keyboard, right? Like theoretically, anybody can make something for that connector. And I asked Brack and Daryl, like, why aren't there more? And he's like, ah, oh, Bluetooth. Like everyone has a sort of the same answer when I ask this question. Like, why isn't there a twenty dollar iPad keyboard that sucks that connects to this connector? It is the thing everybody with an iPad wants. Like, there's a reason there's now a hardware connector on Johnny I's magnificent streamlined design that defers to the screen. Yeah. Because everybody wants to p- plug a keyboard into it. Can I blow your mind even more? Yeah. Try going and looking for like a standalone Bluetooth keyboard like on Amazon that isn't part of like an iPad case. Just like 
you want a good knockaround Bluetooth keyboard that you can like throw in a bag. Use I I wanted to use it with the Galaxy Fold, right? Um, I used to have this incredible Microsoft Bluetooth keyboard. Yeah. But, um, the thing that flips open that you could like slot a tablet in is now it didn't foresee that the devices would get thin, so nothing fits in it anymore. It all falls <laughs> out. Uh, so I had to buy a new Bluetooth keyboard, and there are no good ones. There are zero good standalone Bluetooth keyboards. I'll find some for you. Okay. I mean, it, you have to be able to, like, slot a— um, Paul's like, yeah, that's what I was thinking of. Yeah, but use it on your lap with a tablet. Right. So the, you're yeah. saying the lappability of the Bluetooth keyboards are low. Yeah, there's no lappable Bluetooth keyboards. Does the tablet have to be on my lap? Yeah. Yeah, that's lappability, Paul. I mean, lappability yeah. 101. Mm-hmm. Have you even taken fundamentals of lappability in one of your many <laughs> online courses? So you want a Bluetooth keyboard, but that also has a stand for a tablet— yeah. So that it's laughable. And like that stand could like be separated or attached. You know, there's many, they could, it could fold. It could do all sorts of things. Right. There's just, there's like, there's one company that makes it and it's like, you know, the keyboard that like has like eight RGB colors and yeah. blah, blah, blah. I'm yeah. just saying we live in a, a world of, of profligate dongle creation. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. It is bizarre to me that there is not a USB to smart connector dongle. There is a better ecosystem of things for AirPods than there is for the smart connector on the iPad. It, I just don't get it. And it, again, it is purportedly an open connector. They've told us several times it's an open connector, but I don't think mm-hmm. it is. I think that is as locked down as anything. It makes it seem to me that maybe it's a subset of USB. Because, yeah, that's such a good point. It would be so nice to have a smart connector to USB. I yeah. agree, Eli. You're right. Look, I'm just all conspiracy theories today. It's a real, it's a real wild ride of a show. So, Dieter, your iPad review. I thought the yeah. the subhead was great. No competition because it doesn't have any. It was like we talk about competition all the time. But we should generally talk about iOS 13 and something that I think is very interesting. We also talk about like antitrust and like the pressure from governments to open up. Yeah, Apple opening up Siri to other music services because uh. basically like they're they're starting to feel the pressure. And they're opening up their services to be in a more equal competitive playing field. So now you can say, hey, Siri. In the stingiest way. Well, right. But it can run on the watch. You can say, hey, Siri, play it on Spotify and it'll do it, which it never did before. Yeah. I think you still want to be able to set default apps. I suspect just the hint of like the antitrust pressure in Europe, all of the people talking about it all the time, including us and all the other folks, I think it's going to push them towards default apps. And I think, think the so? iPad becoming more computery and complicated is like it will be the first one to go. Is my guess? Mm, oh, I would love that. Uh, there, there's actually there's now two layers of the default app question. There's default apps on the voice assistant, and then there's default apps on the operating system. So uh, both Google and Amazon let you set default apps um, on the voice assistant, but not any. I, I actually think that's like a mistake for both. Yeah. Okay. Right, not any, like stuff that they have a partner with, right? Yeah, so like on Google Assistant, you cannot set, I don't know, Apple Music to be the default music player. It's like Spotify and Google Play or whatever Deezer. it's called now. Yeah. <laughs> Google Songs, like whatever, yeah. whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, the, by the way, the pro tip on the Spotify thing, instead of saying on Spotify, you can use Spotify like a verb, like like Google. Really? So you could you could like just lift your wrist, you know, to your face or say, hey, Siri, and just be like, Spotify music, or, you know, Spotify, <laughs> and it will, it will do it. That's great. Spotify Ramones, and it'll just, like, play Ramones on Spotify. Spotify Ramones is a great thing mm. to be yelling all the time at your wrist as you walk around. Yeah. Um, okay. <laughs> the one thing I did want to talk about with iOS 13, we talked about Catalina, some bugs, some broken stuff. When we reviewed the phones, we noted that iOS 13 was very buggy. Yep. 
we actually said, everybody, wait, like, don't rush out and pre-order. It's a real theme of Apple stuff. Like, don't rush into it. Let them, let them settle down. They seem to be in a rush. They've now put out uh, 15 updates to iOS 13. I think we're at 13.1.2 right now, right? Yeah. So the big one to wait for was iOS 13.1, and then 13.1.1 hit like a day later, and 13.1.2 hit like the day after that. It was yeah. just a rapid pace. I, I said, I think, on the show around off and time, hey, we're going to like, if iOS 13 doesn't get better, we're going to reconsider at least the score. That's really like, it's a buggy thing. Yeah. So I just want to give everybody the update. I'm on dot one dot two. There are still some around the edges, but it is far better. Like I don't think I need to reconsider the score. I wanted to check with you, dear. Have you hit any showstoppers if you're reviewing iPadOS and all this other stuff? I haven't hit uh, any showstoppers lately. Like it's it has settled down. There's still some fit and finish stuff that's like, what are you doing? Like, wh- how and why? I, I mentioned the keyboard jumping around. I've had some real hassles with the share sheet. Um, like like it's like freezing. And in messages specifically, I think that like, Apple Messages is actually like pretty bad, uh, which is super ironic because I like committed to using iMessage, so my family would talk to this me. Is it. This is like, it. This is what happens with a monopolist. <laughs> they got you, and now the the prices are going up, and the price is waiting for the share sheet. Yeah, <laughs> I had to I had to reset uh, all network settings on my phone. Oh no, all settings. I had to reset all settings on my phone so I could send MMS messages. By the way, that's insane because because app, Verizon. Apple lets Verizon lock down the MMS settings. So there was literally one string of 20 characters I needed to change in settings. And in order to change that, I had to burn every single setting on my iPhone. It was the best. That doesn't seem great. No. But that's iOS generally. I mean, that's That's iOS generally. Yeah. Yeah. I would say that it's like they they need to clean up a bunch of stuff around the edges, but it's not like don't upgrade time anymore. Like you, you should go ahead and install it if you've got an iPhone. I mean, the one I'm waiting for, I mean, they put out the beta that has Deep Fusion in it. People are testing it. I'm sort of waiting for it to hit. Yeah. Then uh, if that works, the camera goes the way I think it's going to go, based on what I've seen already on foot and online. It's like, every, like if you bought an iPhone 11 and you haven't upgraded, like, now's, now's the moment. But right. I haven't had any showstoppers. So people were asking, and I think it's fair to say I'm not going to go and change the scores on the phones because uh, they're fine. Yeah. They're, they're as buggy as phones are now. Like, they've, they've reached the normal level of frustrating bugs in like a first gen phone uh they're not at the chaos weight level all right we're gonna take a break we'll come back you know do what we don't really do wow that guy means business just an amazing player no not him the sports photographer behind him uh what he has a business bank account with quickbooks money where he earns five percent annual percentage yield so he's scoring big on and off the field you might even say he's the mvb mvb be? The most valuable business. Making your money work harder. That's how you business differently. Intuit QuickBooks. Banking services provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Only funds and envelopes are in APY. APY can change at any time. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 
360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. All right, Paul. Yo. Every week. The consistency that keeps this nation together. <laughs> That's, and it's working so well. <laughs> yeah, maybe we should actually be consistent. It's called, you know what? Maybe radio was a mistake. I like it. I don't know if you guys are um, have heard of this. Uh, the Linksys Aware. Okay, imagine. Oh, God. Imagine a Wi-Fi router, right? Or actually a constellation of Wi-Fi routers in a mesh configuration. And you think, oh, great, now I can have internet. <laughs> and actually, no, also, they can tell when you're walking around in your house <laughs> because they use magic to do motion detection somehow with some sort of Doppler. I don't, I, I really don't understand. I don't think Linksys is really describing the technology very well, but the, the, the Wi-Fi signals, they, they reach some sort of point of equilibrium in the timing of the signals reaching each base station or each satellite or whatever. And then when someone moves in your house, that disturbs that equilibrium. And now the Wi-Fi mesh has detected motion. Yes. Mm -hmm. So the positive way to think of this is, well, good. Now I don't need a camera in my house, right? To know when there's right. motion in my house. I just ask my Wi-Fi routers. <laughs> they tell me. <laughs> the scary thing about this is that Oh, this is just radio technology and probably <laughs> probably all Wi-Fi routers could be turned into <laughs> some sort of motion detection <laughs> to spy on us and we're all going to die. This is like movie stuff. This is like there's yeah. a scene in Mission Impossible where like Benji is like, here's what I can do. I can hack into the, the mesh Wi-Fi router system totally. and triangulate his position. Yes. That's dope. Oh wait, I'm super into this. Just thinking about it that way made this way better. Uh, I feel like this was a this was a science project we covered ages ago. There was like there was there was definitely a thing where like it was in it specifically it was like seeing through walls. Like you could use Wi-Fi to see through walls, and like yeah. everyone's like, "What? Mm -hmm. I remember this." Well, I mean, at, at the end of the day, they are radio waves. They propagate, and you can measure their reflectivity, right? Like you can like do stuff with them. Yeah. Here it is. Uh, 2015, it, MIT researchers used Wi-Fi to want to see through walls, to recognize people through walls. They could actually identify people. They could detect right. walking speed. Yeah. Yep. And and now Linksys has given itself the capability, <laughs> which is very cool, uh, I think. For three dollars a month. You pay, three dollars a month? <laughs> you pay Linksys for the for the privilege to be tracked through your home. All right, this segment's over. I, it's I can't. Retro. I can't. I can't. Like everyone's just trying to find reasons to charge late monthly fee, and this is what Linksys came up with. <laughs> We're a service company now. Our service. <laughs> well, it's knowing that you're in your house. <laughs> How fast are you walking? <laughs> this burglar is very fast. Three dollars a month. <laughs> All right, last big thing we got to talk about. Well, two things. There's some hints of uh, Sony mm -hmm. PS5. They're doing they're doing drips and drops. So the previous drip months ago, like it's gonna have an SSD so fast you won't believe it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, 
which is great. This this one though, big one, new controller. Well, two yeah. holiday twenty twenty. So coming out next year, PS five, and the controller will have haptics that are unimaginable and adaptive triggers. Ad- well, I think yeah. doesn't that count as a haptic? Yes, the, but. Mm? If you think about the trigger for just a second, oh boy! Um, when you when you think uh, we've been talking to user interfaces this whole time, this is like, this is our show. But uh, uh, the f- the physical resistance of a trigger as a user interface, as a thing that a program programmer can dynamically change to give you information, is super cool. And like this has been done before with lots of things. Computers have controlled physical objects, and they you use your sense of touch or motion to like gather information or you know, give information, uh, but expanding the realm of things that uh, can give or take that information to something as, as simple as, like, a trigger button is, like, kind of cool. Like, it, I just, like, like, there's a programmer somewhere sitting in a room, like, thinking about, like, messing with your head by messing with the, the, the you know, the resistance on that trigger. Like, you remember the old, um, uh, that old Nintendo horror game whose name is escaping me, where, like, as you played the game, the game would start glitching because you'd lose sanity points because you'd see monsters. And eventually the game would glitch so hard that you would think that the, you thought the console had crashed, but it hadn't. The game was just messing with you. That's great. I mean, this is like, uh, I mean, my only reference point for video games is uh, Metal Gear. Yeah, uh, okay. So it's like, this is like some Metal Gear stuff. I'm into yeah. it. They also said they're taking out Rumble and, and doing advanced haptics in the controller, which yeah. seems like just better Rumble. And they just, like, I don't know what the difference is between, like, vastly improved Rumble and advanced haptics. But it's taptics. They get to say that they get to say it. So that's cool. Yeah. Yeah. I'm into that. I'm into, like, we're now at the point where Apple is selling the Xbox One controller at Apple stores because you can just, like, plug it into, you can connect it to an iPad or a TV and just, like, play Apple Arcade games. They need yeah. to, like, move – the consoles need to move ahead in a serious way. But I think Sony being, like, one thing at a time for a year is how you will learn about the PS5 is very strange. And the fact that the first thing was it will have an SSD is, like, my favorite. Yeah. Because what else would it have at this point? <laughs> We're the last consumers of hard drives in the world. That's PS5. So, I mean, yeah, it should have an SSD, but I am so stoked on it having SSD. I'm definitely at a point where we're and and a very fast SSD. I'm at a point where one of the reasons I choose to buy things on PC instead of for my Xbox um is is that the Xbox takes 5 days to load anything. <laughs> you know, it's just like everything feels so slow. And it's like, well, I don't want and, and it's not just the load times at the start of the game, it's the load times all throughout the game and the, it it really mm-hmm. will be I I do think it'll be transformational. Uh, I'm very, very excited about it. Also, 4K Blu-ray standard—that's a real thing now. That's that's. I, I think I think we're. I'm ready to maybe own some movies again instead of just streaming them. Yeah, I mean, you can just buy again. You can buy an Xbox and play 4K Blu-rays right now, Paul. It's like 250 bucks. You just do it. Yeah, right but now. I already do have it. an do Xbox. Right I don't have a good reason to. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. And lastly. I mean, we're going to do so much next week with this. We don't need to do it. Also, the pixel is leaked just up, down, and sideways. Yeah. Next week, some Google stuff going on. So, like, my final guess is um, – actually, it's the same as a bunch of people's. Uh, it's the Pixel 4, Pixel 4 XL. I do not believe the Pixel 4 5G is going to get announced. I, I could be wrong, but I don't think they're going to do it. There will be the new Nest Mini. Uh, the only thing we know about that is that it's, like, going to be easier to hang on your wall. 
whatever. Okay. I do think that uh, if that's all it is, that's a real dumb missed opportunity because— Wait, Nest, the Hub Mini? Google Home Mini. Oh, the little guy. There's no more Google Homes anymore. It's just Nest. But when you say Nest and then easy to hang on the wall, I immediately think of the thermostat, which is already quite easy to put on the wall because yeah. it is designed to be put on the wall. Uh-huh. Anyway, the names are bad. Continue. I, why are they putting uh, gesture control radar on the phone and not on the speaker? Because uh, the last time they added a cool feature to the thing they put in your house, they forgot to tell everybody and they got burned to death. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I got. They also had to like remove the the capacitive gesture control on yeah. the the home Google Home Mini. Anyway, yeah. Um, so okay, Pixel Mini, uh, the the Google Wi-Fi. Sorry, Nest Wi-Fi apparently is a thing. Uh, people are pretty sure that's coming. Um, Pixelbook, the Pixelbook Go uh, seems like it's a thing. And then everyone is assuming there'll be a new version of Pixel Buds, but I don't think we've seen like a lot of leaks of that. Like not a ton. Yeah. Not, I mean, nowhere near the Pixel 4. Nothing is. But I would have expected to see more. So I think we'll get it because every company on the planet makes earbuds now. If you don't, like Verge is going to make earbuds next week because yes. otherwise we don't count as a tech company. <laughs> um, so obviously Google will have to, but uh, I, I actually don't know much about what they're going to do with them. It feels like they tried to differentiate Pixel Buds with the translation feature, and that was fine. But yeah. like, that's not what people actually care about. They looked yeah. a little silly. The Beats Pro exist, right? So, mm-hmm. like, if you can't take on the AirPods head-on, which basically no one has in terms of size, you kind of you land at, like, Beats Pro size, and that's a yeah. fairly competitive zone. Like, Sony makes really good ones. Like, but you have to be better than a bunch of good stuff. And, like, I don't think that the Pixel Buds were better than a bunch of already good stuff. So They like, were not. So, like, that's it's just a tough zone. Like, you're not better than the thing everybody wants, which is AirPods. Mm-hmm. And you're not better than, like, the second place round, which is, like, the Beats Pro Sony zone. Like, what wh- what is there to take? And I think that's just, like, a, and you're and – you, and now if you, like – Microsoft made ones that just look real silly, <laughs> right? Yeah. So that's great. Like you're not even you can't even play that. Like you have to be all, you have to be ahead of like they look like pop sockets for your head. <laughs> I mean, I believe that if Google thought it could make the best or the second best earbuds, it would do it right. But I also would love to live in a world where it was not super important that the first party makes the best headphones in the world so that you can enjoy using your phone. Yeah, I just, I mean, it matters on iOS because Apple built it into the stack, Mm. right? So Apple has H1. It's built, like, there is some special stuff going on with iOS where, like, the Bluetooth is better managed because the H1 chip. I have, so I do, I have both AirPods and, and Beats Pro. And, like, you know, when you switch the phone call to being on the headphones inside of the phone, like the, literally an icon of the headphones you're using shows up. Like it's like very tightly integrated. Yeah. Yeah. Android isn't doing any of that stuff. Can I tell you guys a secret? Yeah. My, uh, my earbuds, Galaxy Buds. Yeah. Oh. People love the Galaxy Buds. Uh, they, they, they're terrible for phone calls. Their sound is like midland. Uh, and when you use it with an iPhone, it's even more midland because you can't even do like the little EQ stuff. Yeah. Um, but wireless charging, USB-C fits in a pocket. That's That's like... There it is. I can list a podcast on the train. It turns out that people will always prioritize convenience over sound quality. <laughs> the Apple story. <laughs> I will say, dongle life update real quick. Uh, my USB-C pack-in headphones that I got with my Pixel 3, uh, now they still work, but the microphone doesn't work anymore. <laughs> All right. 
So you know, look, this is your time. You're gonna be the per- you're gonna buy the, per- the Pixel Buds too. They're there you go. There you go. I'm gonna translate things. Like I said, we don't need to overdo Google. We will overdo Google next week when all this stuff. We we have been talking about the products that are coming, particularly the Pixel Four, for uh, two months now. Mm-hmm. Yeah, since the Pixel Three came out, basically at this point. <laughs> like, yeah, we want to see how this camera actually performs. It is a very competitive moment. Great, we're gonna get them. We're gonna see them. We're gonna like live through the presentation. We'll be back. We're gonna go all in on it next week. Be ready for that. All right, that's the Vergecast. We did it. Everything's together. Fine. <laughs> Everything's fine. <laughs> uh, some things I need to mention. We are hiring. In case you want to help us make this show better, diverge.com/podcast job. We're looking for an editorial director of podcasts. Big job. If you know anybody? If you know yourself in your heart, go to diverge.com/podcast job. We're doing a survey to help us with you know inform how to make everything better. Anybody can take that. If you even if you don't know yourself, go to diverge.com/survey. Just everybody take that one. You can talk to us. I'm at Reckless. Dieter's at Backlon. Paul's at Future Paul. And I want you to listen to something. It's very important. Ex-Verge reporter Ariel DeHemross is back at Vox Media. She was a superstar reporter. She's back at Vox Media, and she's hosting a new show for Recode called Reset. It's a tech news show. It's a broad definition of tech that looks at science, medicine, politics. It's launching October 15th, and it comes out three days a week, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Sundays. It's a big show. Big star at the top of it. Ariel's great. Go in your podcast app right now. Search for Reset by Recode. Hit subscribe. Listen to the trailer. The trailer's really fun. There's also a little interview she did with Kara, which is everything that you would expect. It's just, <laughs> it's just an experience that you should have. It's great. Go listen to that. It's really exciting. You can also check out Dieter's newsletter, command line, diverge.com slash newsletter. It's really good. I mean, half Thank of this you. show is me just reading the newsletter to Dieter and making him talk. It's great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That's it. We'll see you next week. Google, Google, Google time is here. We'll see you next week. Rock and roll. Paul. Promo code.